Amen. Amen. How are we doing? Church doing good? Good. You look great. Hey, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them. We're going to be in the book of Joshua again, Joshua chapter 10. If you don't have your own Bible, or maybe you do, but your mom gave it to you in 1978, and the zipper has rusted shut, and it looks like Shakespeare wrote it, uh, and you can't understand the these before thou, except that they're thine, then we have a gift for you. That Bible in front of you, uh, that's for you. You can take it home, keep it as your own. Uh, it's written in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a modern translation that, that you can understand, because I can't, I can't really get my mind around the Shakespeare uh, King James Version either. So grab that. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 10, and let's just dive right in. i got to ask you a question. Have you ever prayed for a miracle? And I don't mean the kind of miracle like you show up to class and like, what, today's the test. Dear God, <laughs> I need a miracle, all right? That's not what I mean. I'm talking about uh, an impossible kind of situation where if the Lord doesn't show up, you just don't know what you're going to do. I mean, that kind of miracle. Well, if that's what you're looking for, you've come to the right place. I'm just going to give you a little warning for future services. If you ever see this little bad boy right here on my little podium, then it's going to be one of those kind of services. I'll tell you what that is in a little while, okay? But what the Bible tells us to do when you need a miracle is to pray. It's to pray. It's to ask God for what you need. And some people ask me, well, why pray? Doesn't he already know what's going to happen before they ever happen? So why would we even pray? And what do I pray? I mean, I know, have you ever wondered, am I saying the right words? I mean, are these the right kind of things? And you're with prayer people in prayer groups, which I'm not even a big fan of prayer groups. I don't like to hold hands with people I don't know, uh, you know, and, and somebody tries to interlock their fingers. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm spoken for, and you know, you know what I'm saying? Or people start praying hard, they start squeezing hard. I'm like, stop it, you know, or... All of that, all right? And you wonder, am I praying the right things? Because I, I grew up, you know, the prayer I grew up on was not the Lord's prayer, the bottle prayer. I grew up on this one, all right? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I should die before I wake. Now I'm about six years old looking at my mama going, Mama, what is happening tonight that my life is in jeopardy, that we are begging out to God that I might make it through, Okay. And not only that, I know some of you have a hard time understanding my accent because I'm from South Carolina, and we like to take six words and make them two words, like South Carolina is just, you know, that's how we say it. And so I thought Fashidai was just a word. I thought we were praying in tongues, or maybe if I didn't know what Fashidai meant. So I said, Mama, what's Fashidai even mean? She's like, no, baby, that's if I should die. Okay, so back to my previous question. I'm not making it through the night? And you wonder, am I even praying the right things? And how do I know if it's working? I mean, you ever... Is, is it like a sign? I mean, there's like a prayer meter, like when you, uh, ding, all right, now we heard it. Do you ever feel like you're in a room, you're praying, you're like, I think they're just bouncing off the ceiling and coming right back down to me. How do I know if my prayers are even working? And then the way Jesus teaches about prayer, Jesus teaches all throughout the Bible on prayer, all throughout the, the gospels on prayer. And he teaches about prayer like this. <clears throat> he says, um, and I think it's Luke chapter 18, there's the parable of the persistent widow, and it goes like this. This widow needs justice from an evil judge, and so she nags him to death to the point where he says, fine, and he doles out justice on her behalf, just so she will quit bugging him. And that's how you should pray. And you're like, well, really? And then he does another one in Luke chapter 11. He says, um, this is what prayer is like. When the, the disciples come and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them the model prayer. And then he says, it's like a, a, a man, <clears throat> he's in his home late at night. 
and a, a visitor shows up out of nowhere and he's got no bread to give the visitor and hospitality was like a very, very important in the first century. So the guy gives up and he goes to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door and he knocks on the door but the problem is the neighbor is asleep in his bed and the way they would sleep is the whole family for warmth reasons. They would all sleep together kind of in the floor in the middle of the house and, and eventually he wakes the guy up and says, hey, give me some bread. And the guy's like, I can't, man. I'm asleep. My kids, I wake everybody up and say, man, go find bread. You know, call Bob John's. And, and he, he says, just keep on knocking and keep on knocking and keep on knocking. And, and by his persistence, he can eventually wake the guy up. And if an evil judge and a man that's asleep can be persuaded to give you what you want, how much more is your father in heaven willing to give good gifts to his children? And then essentially what Jesus is saying is this. When you pray, just ask and ask me again and ask me again and ask me again. Because I just got to tell you this. In my house, if the words ask me again come out of my mouth, <laughs> it is totally ask me that again. That's how that goes, okay? <clears throat> and so I, sometimes, sometimes we just quickly forget that God is in the business of answering prayers, that he's a good dad, that's just who he is, and a lot of times, I don't know what, we, we, we go so theological and so doctrinal, which I'm not anti, we're trying to build this around good theology and sound doctrine rooted in the scriptures, that God says, if you're in an impossible situation, perfect, perfect. That's the perfect environment for me to do my best work, but bring it to me. And maybe the reason you're in that situation is so you'll actually come to me. I'm talking to a guy this week or last week from our church. I mean, a good dude, okay, good dude. God loves Jesus. Leads his family well. In fact, if the rest of you were more like this guy, my job would be a lot easier, okay? That kind of guy. And he, and he says, man, I got a real problem. I need to talk to you about it. Great. So I call him on the phone. We're talking about a half an hour. I mean, he's a deacon in our church. He does counseling, leads Bible studies, legit guy. And he goes, man, here's my situation. I've got this situation in my life, and I'm trying to reorient my work and a few things, and here's why. Because I, want, I need to spend more time with my family, not be gone so much, and I would like to free up more time uh, to volunteer and serve at church, but there's just not a job like that for me in Jacksonville. And I was like, hold on, wait a minute. Who are you to pre-decide no for God? Why don't you just pray and ask God? And he went, oh, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think about that. Who, why don't we just ask the Lord for, for what we want? You know, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. That can't mean the opposite of what it actually says. And so maybe you find yourself today in a spot where you just need the Lord to come through. And if not, if not, you might just want to earmark this one, or if you listen on podcast, to just come back to this one in six months because when the wheels are falling off, because if everything is awesome for you right now, God bless your ministry. <laughs> we will see you in a few weeks, okay? And so that's where we find our brother Joshua here, okay? Joshua finds himself in chapter 10, and he is in this place. He's going to find himself in this valley, in this battle, where he needs the Lord to come through in a miraculous way. And so Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, it says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. Let me just give you a little background on what that's all about. Um, what we find out in the previous verses is 
when, uh, or in the previous chapter and the previous verses, is that when Joshua, after he conquers Ai, the, where we were last week, once they get you know, Jesus before all things and God gives them that city, then the people around begin to notice God's hand of favor is upon Joshua and the armies of Israel, and, and we have a problem. And so there's this one town called Gibeon, and so they dress themselves up in some old ratty clothes, and they made their supplies look old and ratty, and they show up to Joshua, and they trick him, and they're like, hey, can we make a, can we make a treaty together so that you will protect us. And Joshua says, sure. So he makes a treaty with these people. And then as soon as word gets out to these other five cities, the kings of all these other five cities say, we better join together and attack Gibeon before Joshua shows up and wipes us all out. And so that's what's happening here. Um, Gibeon, that city is being attacked. And so they cry out to Joshua and be like, hey, remember our treaty. How about come and help us out? Verse seven. And so Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. You see, God talks about future events as if they're past tense for him. Because he has already accomplished these things. There's nothing new under the sun for the Lord. He's not surprised. It's not out of his hands. It's not over his head. God has never gotten a surprising phone call. He's never looked about and went, do what? Never, ever, ever. And so here's what John Calvin says about this verse. He says, Joshua is made confident of victory in order that he may help them, for God stimulates us more powerfully to performance of duty by promising than ordering. Now, what if, what if you entered into your prayer life with that kind of idea? Well, here's how Jesus said it. Ask and it shall be given to you. Knock, and the door will be opened. Seek, these, seek, and you will find. These ain't my words. These aren't my words. What if we entered into our prayer time as if God has promises for us that we are supposed to walk into instead of predeciding God's no for us? As if he's not a good dad and doesn't want good things for his kids. And so God continues, not a man of them shall stand before you, verse 9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. Now, let me just say something. Most of, us, most of us lean in one of two directions. Some of you people are pray-first people. God bless you. You should be pray-first people. Some of you, like me, are like plan-first people. And, and honestly, we should be praying first. But to the pray-first people, that does not negate our responsibility to act. So we should pray, 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 and then do something. Like for everybody that's filled out a, a needs board thing about I need a job and I'm praying for a job, I need a job and I'm praying for a job, you should pray for a job and then fill out a whole bunch of applications and hand them out all over town. I, I mean, I really have a lot of people coming to me and say, hey, I need a job I'm like, and, and I'm praying for it. Great. Well, have you applied for any? No. Well, you don't have a faith problem, okay? You're just dumb. Or let me tell you, here's where I say it more than anything else around here, okay? Uh, you pseudo-spiritual single young men around here. Uh, Pastor Joby, I'm just praying that the Lord would send me a godly woman with the four H's, you know, holy and hot and humble and hardworking, and I'm just praying, and I am just waiting upon the Lord, and I'm just lifting it up to him, and then I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting on the Lord. What do you mean? Okay, Pray. And become the one that the one you're looking for is looking for. Yeah, and do the work and know God and draw unto him. But brother, hunt. <laughs> I, if I were you, I'd come to every single service we go to. All right, every one we have, we have 10 opportunities now. And I'd be worshiping Jesus next to one, looking at that left hand. And if there's nothing on it, I'd be like, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, right next to her. You understand? <laughs> yes, you pray, but then you also get after it. You don't treat lunch that way. 
You don't walk out of here and be like, ooh, I have this need deep within me. I'm so hungry. Dear Lord, please send me a burrito. I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, you go to a restaurant. Pray, 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 and then go to work. So Joshua's going to pray, and then he also marches all night, verse 10. And the Lord threw them, the enemy, the Lord threw the enemy into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Haran and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And some of you are like, why are all these places in here? Because this is an actual event in real places. Like if it was written today, you'd be like, I was on the other side of Ocala heading to Tampa. And you'd be like, I've been there. It's like that. Verse 11, and as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Haran, the Lord threw down large hailstones or large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Man, I just hope. I really do. I just hope that you have some testimony in your life where God has done more for you in one second than you could do in a lifetime. I mean, that's what they're saying here. And then in that battle, in that battle, verse 12, at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord. In the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Agilon. You see, what's happening here is Joshua is doing his best to defeat this enemy that God has said has already delivered unto Joshua. But the sun is beginning to set. The day is beginning to wane. And what Joshua realizes, if the sun goes down and all things go dark and we are here in enemy territory, they are all going to get away and we are not going to be able to accomplish that thing that God told me to accomplish. And so, God, I need you. I need you to do something that is seemingly impossible. I need you to do something that if I told my friends I was going to ask you about this, they'd be like, whoa, 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 you might want to settle down a little bit. That is impossible. God, I need you to make the sun stand still. I need you to step in to the time-space continuum and hit pause on our world like you're watching this on DVR. That's what I need you to do. I need you to do something that none of us could ever do. God, I need a miracle so that I could accomplish what you have called me to accomplish. And then he speaks to the Lord, and he asks God to make the sun stand still. Now, by the way, if you back up to chapter 9, what you will find out is that the reason that Joshua is in this mess, it's not even God's idea. If you remember back from the very beginning, God told Joshua, when you go into the land of Canaan, wipe them all out. And then when we find ourselves here in chapter 9 and 10, he's made a treaty with some of them. So Joshua 9 14 and 15 says, so the men took some of their provisions, that's the people from Gibeon. Again, the Gibeonites showed up looking like they were from a a people from a long way off, and they showed up, and they're like, hey, we need your protection. We're not from here. And then Joshua's like, are you sure? How do I not know that you're my enemy? And they're like, no, trust us. See, our, our provisions look like they've traveled a long time. And then Joshua is tricked, and it says, so they took some of those provisions, but they, what does this say? But they did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them, and he made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. And you're like, what does that have to do with my life? Here's what this has to do with your life. Joshua gets into a mess by his own accord, and then when he's in that mess, he cries out to the Lord, God, I need your help, and God answers his prayers. That should be a lot of freedom for a lot of us in the room. That some of the things that we need the miracle on are because of our stupidity, Some of us are in a financial mess because we've been running God's money like an idiot. 
And now we're in this place where we're like, Lord, I need your help. And you don't see God coming in, but like, I told you don't do it that way. Or some of your marriages are, are wrecked because you, you haven't been loving her like Christ loved the church. But now you're in this spot right now going, I need you to make the sun stand still. Or some of you are in just relational chaos because when you do your Myers-Briggs, you know that Myers-Briggs thing, your comes back J-E-R-K. <laughs> if I had time, I'd tell you how I know that one. But. And yet, even, even when we put ourselves in the impossible situation, God does not turn a deaf ear to that. Verse 13, and the sun stood still. I mean, the sun stood still. That's impossible, except that all things are possible for God. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of the day, and it did not hurry to set for about a whole day. And there has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Church, why don't we pray these kind of prayers? Why don't we pray these big, bold, audacious kind of prayers? You see, <clears throat> did you know that our prayers reveal what we actually believe about God? If I could follow you around, all right, take the creep factor out, but if I could follow you around for a week, actually, I just need to know, see two things about your life, and I would find out everything about what you believe. If I could see your checkbook and your prayer journal, then I know everything that you actually believe. Now, I know what you say you believe, all right, but... but what we do with our money, it's not what we're going to talk about today, and the way we pray reveals what we actually believe about God. So think about everything you prayed about last week. And if you say, well, I didn't really pray about anything last week, well, then you don't really believe in God. You might believe that there is a God, but you have not put your trust and faith in him, and you don't have a relationship with him. And that might hurt your feelings, but, you know, Jimmy cracks corn. I don't care. Because it's just true. If you pray these little wimpy prayers, then you must believe in a little wimpy God that's just this much more powerful than you and me. Or if you only pray formal, memorized, rote kind of prayers, it might be that you think God is just this impersonal judge that you're following at a distance and he feels a long ways off because you're staying a long ways off. And it, does this ever happen to you? Maybe it's just me. You ever got some really juicy sin in your life? And then so you kind of avoid God for a little while until you can work that out. Do you? Just me? Thanks for making me feel all alone up here, all right? So I do. I do. I'll just be awful to somebody and think, well, I'm not going to pray for a while, all right? I'm just going to kind of be at a distance. What if when Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock, those aren't just three um, different ways to describe the same sort of, of um, request, but what if they're actually three perceptions of our distance from God. And he's saying, whether you feel really, really close or really, really far away, come on and bring it to me. I mean, he's a good dad, right? So if you're with your kids at your house and they're just right there beside you, you just go, hey, dad, can I ask you something? You just ask. And if you look up and dad's not in the room, it ain't because he left, but you did. But what do you do? You go walking around the house going, dad, dad. And then when you get to him, you go, hey, can I ask you something? Or what if when you go to him, he's in the library or in the bathroom? Isn't that always a pleasant one when the kids are like, hey, are you in there? That's the reason there's doors here, kids, all right? And so, but you knock. And then what he's saying is, I'll open the door. No matter how distant you may feel from God, he's saying, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. And if we pray me-centered prayers, then maybe you think that God exists to serve you. 
If everything's about serve me and bless me and watch over me, and God, I think you might exist for me. Remember, one of the things that we are trying to learn in every aspect of our lives as 1122ers is this, that he is before all things. That he is before all things. That he does not exist for us, but we exist for his glory. And if you pray consistent prayers, you might actually believe that God is your heavenly father. He's in all places at all times. And he hears you. And if you pray good old R-rated prayers and intimate prayers like the Psalms, then you might have a real relationship with God. You see, if you look throughout the scriptures, man, there's all kind of big, bold, audacious prayers all throughout the scriptures. Not just here in Joshua. Moses is standing before the Red Sea with the Egyptian army barreling down behind him and he lifts up his hands and he prays and then the God comes and he parts the Red Sea. You know why I think some of the reasons we don't pray big, bold, audacious prayers is because we're scared. What, what happens if God doesn't show up? Can you imagine being Moses? If nothing happens? No, seriously, it's about to split, I promise. All right, he told me. Or can you imagine being Joshua? If God make the sun stand still. No, seriously, y'all, I know it looks like evening, but I, it's going to stop here in a second. You see, that does not hinder him. Or uh, Elijah, Elijah prays and dead people come back to life. And Elijah prays and it stops raining for three and a half years. Or Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, and he prays, and God shuts the mouths of lions. And then Jesus prays all kind of prayers. I mean, Jesus prays, Matthew 14, 23, after Jesus dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So sometimes Jesus will pray alone, Matthew 19, 13. And then, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. So sometimes he prayed alone, sometimes he prayed in crowds. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning. Let me say that again to you 20-somethings. All right, ready? Very early in the morning while it was still dark. Did you know there's a dark part of the morning? I don't know if you know that. And I don't mean the end of your night. I'm talking about the beginning of the next one. <laughs> Jesus got up, left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. So he prayed alone, he prayed with people, prayed at night, prayed in the morning, prayed all day, prayed all night. Luke 22, 44, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly, and his sweat were like drops of blood falling to the ground. Is that what your prayer life's like? Or is it, now I lay me down to sleep, pray, Lord, my soul to keep if I should die before I wake. Pray, Lord, my soul to take, amen. You see, what we, the way we pray reveals our relationship with the Lord. And the reason that we would pray big, bold, audacious, impossible prayers is because we believe in a big, almighty, sovereign, nothing surprises him kind of God. Amen. And those kind of prayers mark followers all throughout the scriptures. My favorite place is Acts chapter 4. Flip over to Acts chapter 4. My favorite, one of my favorite Bold prayers in the whole, all of scriptures. Got to catch up on what's happening here. Uh, well, we'll start in verse 23. When they were released, here's what happened. The they there is Peter and John. Peter and John have just been released from prison. And it says, when they were released from prison, they went to their friends. By the way, when it comes to prayer, I hope you got friends. What we're going to find here all throughout the scriptures is just, just praying alone is not enough. That we are to join together with one another and pray. That's why disciple groups are a big deal. And so they go to their friends, and they reported that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Now, here's the problem. 
What had just happened is they got, they got out of prison, and the reason they were in prison is because they were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And as they were preaching the gospel in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 3, they, they come upon this lame man, this crippled man, and he says to them, hey, can you, give us some, can you give me some money? And they say to him, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. Arise and walk in the name of Jesus. And this guy who'd been crippled for 40 years is walking around town. So like, check it out. And he's really stoked about it. So he's telling everybody. And when people come to Peter and John and say, by what name is this man healed? They say, by the name of Jesus, whom you killed, he raised up on the third day, and by that name we are healing people. And so the Sanhedrin arrest him. They arrest these two men, and they say, you've got to stop talking about Jesus. And then in Acts 4.20, they say, hey, you do whatever you want to do, but we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. And so they, they, they have to let these guys go because the crippled man's walking around town. And how do you argue with that kind of evidence? And so when they show up and it says, and they reported, we think of like a Sunday school report. The Peter and John, think about this. These are two fishermen. Have you ever hung out with fishermen? They have the best stories, don't they? They never let the truth get in the way of a good story. They're just like, here's how it always starts. There I was, right? And so when it says Peter and John reported, that's what they're doing. They're like, all right, guys, listen, there we were. We were, we were at the temple, all right, and we were preaching in the name of Jesus. And that one guy asked, hey, you got gold or silver? I ain't got any of that, but I got Jesus. Get up. And he gets up. He starts walking around. And then the Sanhedrin came, and they arrested us, and they, they surrounded us, 71 judges, and they're hurling insults at us. And by what name? And I'm going to tell you what name. It's the name of Jesus, and you better stop. And I ain't going to stop talking about what I have seen and heard. And so Shazam, here we are. I mean, it was like a real thing. You see, don't read through this and get so familiar that you forget these are actual events. It would be like if you saw on the news last night that Pastor Ben and I got arrested on the north side. <laughs> and then you showed up here today, and here we are, still smelling like jail. And you'd be like, what happened? And I'd be like, all right, there we were. <laughs> we were up on the north side. Man, I'm just slinging the gospel, and Ben's just playing his brains out, right? And people are getting saved, and people are getting redeemed, and crackheads are getting healed, and blind eyes are open, and lame people are walking, and then boom, the police shows up and locks us up and says, by what name? And I said, by the name of Jesus. And they said, you better not. And I said, I'm about to tell you what I'm going to do. I can't stop doing what I have seen and heard. And then men went, and played a song, and bam, we got out. <laughs> it's like that, sort of. So they reported with the chief priest. This is crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. They reported with the chief priests and the elders said to them, and when they heard it, they, they lifted their voices together to God and said, when they heard that, somebody said, y'all, we got to pray. And that's the first thing they do, prayer. Is that your first reaction? Because I got to confess, man, mine's not. Mine's plan. If I'm sitting there and I'm getting the report, I'm like, we need a strategic plan. Peter and John, you can't travel together anymore. I mean, this is a big deal here, all right? You're like the president and CEO of Jesus International, and we've got big plans for the salvation of the world. We're going to need to split you. We've got too many assets in one spot, all right? And we need security, tricked out escalades. That's what we need everywhere we go with you, but not these folks. They, and here's what they pray, sovereign Lord. Peter and John still smell like jail, and they're saying, sovereign Lord. And see, here's my prayer. If I, when I do pray, I'm praying, dear God, help me curse them. Amen. And they pray, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. This is very theocentric prayer. Most of our prayers are very meocentric prayer. Sovereign Lord 
who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. Don't run by this too quickly. The first thing they do after they say, God, this is who you are, the character and nature of God, they begin to pray the scripture. And they don't think David was just a good poet and they would read their poems to the kids. They believe that this was the very words of God. Let me tell you one of the boldest ways you can pray is just pray God's word back to him. Parents, let me tell you, one of the best things you can do to pray for your kids, you're like, who do I pray? Pray the scriptures over your kids because you want to launch this anchor deep into their soul so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. They can't because God's word is stronger than they are. So my little girl, when I put her to bed every night, I pray Psalm 139, 14, and she repeats it after me. Dear God, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well because she's six. And from what you've told me, in a minute, she's going to be 16. And that is not a fun journey, not in this culture. And here's what I need her to know based on the truth of the word of God, this bold, audacious prayer. I need her to know she's valuable and she'll be treated as valuable, that she is wonderful. All God's works are wonderful, wonderful and she's one of those, therefore she is wonderful. She knows that full well. So some little Cracker Jack comes sniffing around my house and he does not understand that. She'd be like, Pfft. And if the Pfft don't work, Daddy will. I'll be in there with Peter and John, okay? So... Or my son, every night, Psalm 1. Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of the mocker or sit in the seat of the sinner. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Upon his law he meditates day and night. Then I make it personal. And JP, may you be planted like a tree by running water. May your leaves never wither. May everything you do prosper and the Lord watch over the righteous. I didn't even intend to memorize it, but when you do it for 10 years, it kind of starts sticking. And you just, you just plant the word of God in there. And so that's what they do. And they are going to actually pray Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. In other words, that God, you knew all of this was going to happen, that you, you were not surprised by this at all. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So they're saying, God, you weren't surprised by this. In fact, you put the people in power that are persecuting us. That's what they're praying about. To which a lot of people will say, then why pray? If God already knows and God already has a plan, why pray? Here's why. Because he told us to pray. And let me really just blow up all our minds. You ready for this? that God has predestined and preordained that some of the things that he wants to happen are only gonna happen when you and I ask for them. It's crazy. The James 4, 2 says you have not because you ask not. That God says join me in the redemptive process of all of the creation. And you, it's like taking your kid to work. Like all the power rests in, the, in God, in the sovereign God, and yet he brings us along and says, because, because by faith you come before an almighty God and say, God, I am asking for these things. It, that is a part of his preordained plan to make things happen that would not happen if we don't get on our knees before an almighty God. That's why we pray. And again, does that mean everything we ask for he gives? No, 
That means you would be God and, he, and, and you're telling him what to do. That is not how it goes. But the other way around. And so, verse 29. And now, Lord, and now, look upon their threats. They're three quarters of the way through the prayer, and now they're getting to them. Is that how you pray? Or do you start with you, and then if you got a little time left over at the end, you might throw in a little, like, in Jesus' name. They go to do it the other way. Very theocentric. God, you're in charge. I'm praying your scriptures. Lord, I know that you are before all things. And now, God, now that we've established that, you remember that part where they said they're going to kill us? Let's, let's talk about that for a minute, God. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, if I'm in the prayer meeting, I'm like, boldness? You're asking for boldness? Isn't it boldness that got you locked up to begin with? Fellas, I don't know that we have a boldness problem here. Maybe, maybe we got a wisdom problem, okay? If you're asking me for advice, maybe we need to tone down the rhetoric on the Jesus stuff a little bit. Maybe you need a safe house. Maybe you need to lay low for a little while, let the dust settle, and then when everything kind of settles down, then you can step out and work the plan, and they're like, nah, that's not how we're going to do. That we're going to pray for boldness to continue to speak your word. That's what they're praying for. Not, God, please change my circumstances to make me more comfortable. They're praying, whatever the circumstances, God, you put me into, God, I, I am praying for, a, I mean, a, the power of the Holy Spirit to speak your word in such a way that everybody looks around and is like, what in the world is going on? That's different, isn't it? That's different. They're praying, not that God fixes their circumstances, but God changes them to the point that they can't help but talk about what Jesus can do for you. You see, be really, really careful when very well-meaning Christians come up to you and try to evaluate the character and nature of God based on your current circumstances. People come up and be like, is God trying to tell you something? Listen, God told these brothers what to do, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So anybody telling them anything other than that is not on God's side. So be very careful when people come up to you looking at the circumstances around you and based on those circumstances say, you sure God wants you to do that? Listen, if he told you to do it, you pray for boldness and then you step out to do it. And what they are praying for is the ability to share their faith. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you prayed for boldness to speak your faith to somebody that you love? Because that's a prayer God will answer. Um, one of the initiatives that we're gonna start here right now at 1122 is this, is that we're going to pray boldly. We're going to pray boldly for people that don't know Christ. Um, and, and the way it will show out practically is this, is in the future on your bulletin and on our Facebook page and all those kind of places, there will be this little line that says hashtag one more, hashtag one more. If you're older than me, that's number sign or pound one more, okay? And here's why. Here's what this means. We as a church want to be praying boldly for the strength and the courage to share our faith with one more person, just one more person. On my arm, this tattoo is Acts eleven twenty four, and he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That great number in my economy is not that every one of our 10 venues over the weekend would be filled up. That great number is that one more person would step over the line from death to life and come to know Jesus Christ, just one more. And the second I say it, I bet you have one more. 
And here's, here's just a frustration that I had uh, kind of growing up. When I was in college and some of those kind of times in my life, I didn't, my church was not really like a partner with me in helping my friends come to know Jesus. It was almost like a stumbling block for the people that were far from God. Now, it was a really great church if you grew up in that church. You kind of knew the code and what to wear and the secret handshake and when to stand up and sing and that kind of stuff. But if you didn't, like I couldn't bring an outsider to my church because they, they felt exactly like an outsider. And so what we want to do is let all the insiders here at 1122 know what the best weekends are to bring your friends. Now, we think every weekend's a good weekend to bring somebody far from God because I talk about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus almost every weekend. But there are specific weekends when we are going to give a gospel invitation. And so we're going to let you know these are the one more kind of weekends. And if you were a guest here today, we're talking about you. So I know it's kind of weird. Come back next week. It's going to be awesome, all right? But, and the reason, here's why. Here's what we want to, I mean, here, here's, here's one of the biggest, boldest prayers that you could pray in your whole life is that God would change the eternal trajectory of somebody. You know the most impossible thing is my righteousness before God. It's impossible. There is nothing that I can do on my own to be righteous before an almighty God. I'm in a sinner in front of a holy and just God, and yet every single one of us wretched, black-hearted sinners who has cried out, God, I admit it, I'm a sinner Jesus, I believe that when you died on the cross, it counted for me. And Jesus, would you save me? In every single one of those situations, God did the impossible. And he brought a dead person back to life. He washed away our sins and imputed us with his righteousness. And God answers that prayer over and over and over. And the biggest, boldest thing that we could be praying for is praying for that one more. And praying for that opportunity to share. To share an invitation. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? To share your story. Be like, I don't know how to answer all your questions about creation and the dinosaurs and all that, but let me tell you what Jesus did for me. To share another cup of coffee. Oh, you're not ready to talk about it yet? No problem. You're still my friend. All right, let's hang out. Or to share the gospel, what Christ did. And the church, 1122, is a partner with you on this. Verse 30. Now, they prayed for that, okay? They prayed for themselves. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While, while. So God, we're gonna do our part, but we're needing you to do things that we can't do while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed throughout the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They pray big, audacious prayers. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Was shaken. When was the last time you prayed and you were shaken? Yeah, me too. I'm gonna tell you, honest. 722, I was shaking. At the end of 722 this week, shaking. But most of the time, I'm laying in bed, and I'm praying, dear God, thank you for this day. Bless me, and bless her, and be with us, and bless the kids, and let the dogs win, and travel in mercies, and let the food nourish our body, and you know, I fall asleep praying. The only shaking that happens is Gretchen shaking. You're breathing my air. Sorry. Dang. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, Amen. Is that your prayer life? Because these brothers and sisters are getting together and they're praying and like walls are shaking and hearts are shaking and souls are shaking and the church is shaking. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The NIV says great courage. Courage is behaving as if you believe that your God is actually in control. That's what courage is. You see, you can be scared, just don't be afraid. And they pray, and they are shaking. So here's the point. When you believe in a sovereign Lord, you pray big, bold, audacious kind of prayers. 
And the reality is most of us just pray these wimpy little sorry prayers. Now, it's a bit of a paradox because just don't lose this part of it, okay? Here's the tension. He's a good dad. He loves his kids. If it's important to you, it's important to him because you're important to him. So if you want to pray for your cat because she has the chicken pox, okay, whatever. I'm not convinced he loves cats, but he loves you so you can bring it, all right? But if that's all your prayers are, come on, man. You see, we pray big, we should pray big, bold, audacious prayers because he's an almighty and sovereign God. But most of the time, you know what we do? Dear God, thanks for this day. On behalf of the Lord, I want to say, he's got it, okay? What is that? Unless you were on life support yesterday. If you were on life support yesterday, that's legit. You wake up this morning and be like, thank you for this day, all right? Or if you're like post 100, no problem. But for the rest of us, got it. Or this one, dear God, just be with me. All right, where are you going to be? Because I'm pretty sure I'm there. It's called the omnipresence of God. Where can I go from your presence? All right, that's Psalm 139. Or this one's even worse. Dear God, just watch over us and give us traveling mercies. You sure that's what you want? Because post-Pentecost, the way this thing works is for everybody that surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, God doesn't watch over us anymore. He lives in us. Our body is a temple. That doesn't mean uh, it has nothing to do with what you look like in a bikini, praise God. It means that the home address of the Holy Spirit of God is inside of us. So is what you're saying, you want me to come out from within you and hover over the minivan while you go to Disney? That's how you want it to work, Des? How about I actually live in you and begin to work through you? So you can throw that, that prayer out. Or God, just give us safety. Seriously, you live in the safest place in the, all of human history, okay? Wear your seatbelt, drive the speed limit. What's your next prayer? My least favorite of all. Dear God, let this food nourish our body. What else is it going to do? We don't look around our country and see atheists just shriveling up into nothing. I'm dying. It's because you don't pray for the food to nourish your body. Regardless of what you believe, that's what it does. That's like, dear God, please let this water be wet and my hair be hairy, all right? That's just what it is. Now, maybe if you primarily get most of your nutrition from a clown through your car window, that prayer may apply. But for most of us, he's got that. So here's why I said, if your prayer life isn't intimidating to you, it's probably insulting to God. If your prayer life isn't intimidating to you, I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud, then it's probably insulting to God. I'm just saying he loves you. He's a good dad. That's who he is. He's going, come on, I know where you're at. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. And here's the way we can know. Here's the way we can know that he answers our prayers if you're a Christian because of the cross. Because of the cross. The most impossible prayer was, Lord, save me. And he did it. God made him who was without sin to be sin, that we would be made his righteousness. Impossible. Bigger than the sun standing still. But changing eternity for people like me and you. And so pray. Let me ask it to you this way. This is convicting to me. What if God answered yes to all your prayers last week? How would the world be different? Honestly, would there any more orphans be saved? Any more widows be cared for? Any people rescued from human trafficking? Would all the wars be the same? Would people still be starving? Probably. What would happen if God answered yes to all of our prayers from last week? We'd find our car keys. Get a sweet parking spot in the mall. Our team would win. Some of you would have a date. That'd be it. See, what if, church, we started really believing, Sovereign Lord, 
God, even if I got myself in this mess, Lord, I need the sun to stand still. Lord, I need you to step in in a way, and I am not predeciding a no for you. I'm asking because you're a good dad, and I'm trusting that no good dad says yes to every request that his kid asks. But that you love me, and you are for you, and you are going to answer me perfectly every time. Sometimes yes, and sometimes no, and sometimes not now, but I'm going to pray big, bold, audacious prayers because you're an almighty and sovereign God. You see, we've experienced this as a staff um, a few years ago as I was just kind of working through some of these texts. I, I thought, hey, I want our church and I want our staff to pray these kind of prayers. And so we brought our staff together and I said, all right, kind of walked them through this text. And I said, listen, we're going to pray big, bold, audacious prayers. And there's no bigger prayer than somebody gets saved. Every other miracle is temporary. You know that, right? Like the, the, the crippled guy that's walking around, he's dead. Anybody seen him lately? Uh-uh, he died, all right? That's a temporary miracle. An eternal miracle is somebody receives Jesus. That miracle never, ever stops. And so we get our staff and go, all right, we're gonna pray. And I had our staff, um, I had our staff uh, uh, kind of make a case for the most impossible person they knew to be saved in their life, that God had placed in our lives. And so we all had, you know, it was like, hey, my mother-in-law or, you know, that kind of thing. And so this one person on staff made a case for this guy named Washington. And she said, she read kind of the bio of here's why, and we were like, yep, that's him. Impossible. And so we started praying for him. And he was, and here's why we thought he was impossible, okay? Uh, everything in his life was kind of wrapped up. He was super smart, had a good job, had plenty of money, super fit. I kind of knew him from the gym a little bit. And he was an atheist, not an angry atheist, but just enough chip on his shoulder. He'd read enough. He had his six comebacks for every kind of typical Christian phrase, and that was him. He was all set. And so we started, as a staff, we started praying for Washington, praying for Washington, praying for Washington. And weekly, uh, Caitlin, this girl on staff, she would show up and she would give a report. There I was. Ask him at the gym. Want to go to church? No, 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 no. Maybe. Oh, and at staff meeting, we celebrated. We got a maybe. Now, the sun didn't stand still, but it's kind of it's slowed down for a second. You know what I mean? And then I remember the first time Caitlin shows up, and she said, he actually came to church. Now, he, did, he skipped all the singing stuff because that freaked him out, all right? He's like, I don't want to go to Christian karaoke, and people are crying, and what's that guy got a question? You know, I don't, I'm not into that. So he skipped all of that. But he showed up to the sermon. He was highly offended, highly offended. He's like, I don't believe any of that stuff, but I'll see you next week. And then he started showing up, showing up, showing up. And then he started showing up for the singing, okay? And before you know it, you, uh, he would kind of get that sway going on. And as people would see him, he'd, boom, stop. No, uh no, it ain't getting on me. And then, and then I remember when one of the reports was, he's moved from the back row to the next to the back row. <laughs> Warning to all of you in the back row in all of our venues. When you break through that seal and you move up one, man, I'm telling you, it is a slippery slope all the way into heaven, okay? You just got to watch out. I'm telling you, be careful. John Calvin would call this the wooing of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to know that terminology to be wooed by the Holy Spirit. And then in a service, before he even believed, he would come up after the sermons and be like, I disagree with you. I don't believe in you. I, 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 dis, I don't believe what you're saying and I'll see you next week. And then one time, in a service, he's not even a Christian yet, and in a service during one of the songs, because at this point he's coming every week, and he knows the words to the song, and he starts to lift my hands, and lift his hands, and he looks over to his neighbor, and he puts it, and he's like, oh, crap, I'm becoming one of you. That's what he said. <laughs> so he's pumping the brakes with everything he's made of, and then one day, after, just after church, he walks down here to me and says, all right, I give up. I surrender. 
And Washington surrenders his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And this last year, he led a mission trip to Brazil where he was born and raised. Amen? Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Listen, our church started on that premise that this is impossible. When I would explain, here's what we're doing with 1122 to church experts. We're going to launch a non-denominational church out of a denominational church, and we're going to try to move like 1,000 people over here, and we find an old Walmart, and we're going to renovate it, and, and, and this is what we're going to do. And so many people are like, man, that's impossible. Perfect. Perfect. Because an impossible situation is like a hanging curveball for the Lord to just, boom, watch it ride, and to say, the only one that could hit that one out was me. And so we want to pray big, bold, audacious, impossible prayers. And I know that you do. That's what this is. That's what this big old, you know, mound is. This is every prayer request that's come in since the day we opened the doors. And the reason that we have them, because I tell our staff, if you throw these out, you better go with them. We're keeping these forever, okay? And we pray over them, man. And there are, I mean, look at this. My papa is dying from fourth-stage pancreatic cancer. And they're saying, Lord, I need you. God, I need you to move. Sovereign God, heal my dad. Here's one this week. My mother had an aneurysm and is in the hospital. And so we pray. We pray. And then our chaplains go and visit and pray. And then here's one. Pray for my marriage. Today is the first day I've had hope in this seemingly impossible situation. You see, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is that we never lose hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. In Christ, there is hope. Here's one that says, praise the Father. I've been 40 days clean of prescription medication. And each and every day is a struggle. Please pray for me. So we get on our face and we go, sovereign God. May this brother do his part and go to his meetings and get accountability and get in a disciple group. But the power of the cross is bigger than his addiction. And so may he do his part. But sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord, may you reach out your hand and perform signs and wonders and miracles. And that's a miracle. And how about this one? You want to talk about a movement for all people? Here's one from last week. I was raped and beaten. And this girl's just showing up broken broken and landing on the, the soft landing soil of this local church where we say, darling, you are so valuable. God gave his life for you, and you should be treated as valuable. We have to pray for her like crazy that God would put together what the enemy has tried to destroy. And so what about you? I know some of you are in the valley like Joshua is, and you look around, and the sun is setting, and you feel like you're in an impossible situation. And you feel like your marriage is broken. Well, you need to pray. That before Jesus went into full-time ministry, he was a carpenter. He is an expert at putting broken things back together. It's what he does. Or maybe your health, man. Maybe you got a report from the doctor this week, and your health is just, I mean, they said you're sick. And it's freaking you out. And I might be freaked out too. You could be scared. Just don't be afraid. Just by faith, step out and, and, and cry out to God. For some of you, you've got some relational problems. And I'm just talking about, you, you don't see a way around it. You, you have no idea how God can reconcile this relationship that is so broken. And some of you are in such a financial mess, you just think, God, 
I need you to move into this place because I am broken and scared. I feel like my whole world's falling apart. And Jesus says, bring that to me. Bring that to me. So that's the way we're going we're gonna to end this service. I honestly think it's a waste of time for you to listen to me talk about Joshua asking the sun to stand still. And then we just go, that's a great idea. And then just walk off to our cars. What if we actually just do what the book says? That's what we do. James chapter 5 says this. Is anyone among you suffering? Some of you are suffering. Some of you have people that are very, very close to you that are suffering, and their suffering is a suffering for you. Again, some of your marriages are suffering. And we're going to pray for healing. And then you're going to do your part. Some of you need to sign up for our marriage retreats that we got. And I know some of you are like, ah, oh, they're expensive. Your marriage is worth the cost. Sell the car, save your marriage. Whatever it takes. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Not like, dear God, be with my spouse. No, man. I mean, pour your guts out. And pray. Anyone cheerful? So this isn't all bummer. Some of you are like, no, man, I'm not suffering. Things are awesome. Great. Let him sing praise. That while we are praying for the people that are suffering, all of us are going to join our voices together, and we're going to sing the praise of God. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Says, is anyone among you sick? Some of you are sick. You have sick relationships. Some of you have sick self-esteem. Some of you have some sickness going on. Everything on on the external is fine, but somehow you are deeply depressed on the inside. God is bigger than your depression. You pray and you seek help. Some of you have sick relationships, sick finances. Some of you just have a sick outlook on your future. You see how real this word is? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm one of the elders of this church. Now, again, we've got multiple venues in multiple places now, so we've got elders all spread out. So we're just going to do what the word says. And I've got oil right here, okay? I got it from Jerusalem, so you know it's got to be awesome. And just as it... I'll admit to you, I grew up Southern Baptist. We didn't anoint anything. We anointed biscuits with gravy. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) And so if this is weird for you, okay. Isn't the whole thing? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I've staked my whole life in it. So what about you? Are you sick? Are you suffering? Well, come down and then some... Elders, deacons, staff, we're going to have a bunch of people down here to just do what it says. Just anoint you with oil and to pray for you. And here's why. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. We're going to have a healing service. A healing service. And we are not going to ascribe things to the Holy Spirit that the Bible does not ascribe. But, but the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus that you are healed. And there's a difference between healing and curing. In Christ, all of us will be healed, every single one of us. And sometimes God steps in in supernatural ways and he cures ailments. But the Bible says is that we lean on him, we lean into him, we cry out, God, I'm in a place where I need the sun to stand still. And then my favorite part, is it keeps going after it says you'll be healed. It says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. 
This is difficult for me to say, but I'm a righteous person. Not because of anything I've done, but because of Christ's righteousness imputed upon me at the cross. That God made him who was without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. And then it says, and Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. It's like, you know those dudes from the Old Testament? Elijah, he's a guy just like us. And he prayed, and the rain stopped. And I think James would be okay with me saying, and Joshua, Joshua was, was a man, he was just like us. He was a guy, and he was weak, and he was afraid. That's why God kept saying, be strong and courageous. And he looked up to the heavens, and he said, Lord, I need you to make the sun stand still. If you don't step in in a supernatural way in this moment, Lord, we're toast. And Joshua was a man like us, and he prayed for the sun to stand still. So what about you? What do you need to pray for? And maybe you have not because you ask not. So what we're going to do in just a second, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to say amen. And you're going to come forward for whatever. If you have a struggle or if you have a sickness, and how foolish would you be to miss an opportunity to be prayed for? After our Thursday night service, I, I, I went out to get some food afterwards, and I bumped into this guy that I know has some medical issues, and I saw him at the restaurant. I'm like, hey, bro, did you come get prayed for? And he's like, nah. I'm like, Dude, what a fool you are, brother to miss that kind of opportunity. So I laid my hands on his head at the bar at Ale House. A lot of people meet Jesus in bars through 1122, okay? I laid my hands on his head and I prayed, just prayed healing on him right there. I don't care if people think I'm weird. I don't want to be normal. Normal's broke, lonely, depressed. You can have normal. I'll be weird. Laid my hands on him. I didn't scream and shout. Just quietly prayed in the brother's ear. Then went and eat, to eat. He sent me a text. This atheist guy that he's been trying to lead to Christ forever sitting next to him, and the guy's like, that guy just pray for you? Yeah. He's like, all right, I'm going to church with you next week. That's what I need. You just never know. You never know. So please don't miss an opportunity to be prayed for. Anybody in trouble? Anybody sick? Let the church gather the elders together, anoint with oil, and pray for the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we pray because you told us to. We pray because we believe that you hear our prayers. God, we pray because by your stripes we are healed. God, we pray in the blood of Jesus. God, we pray in the name of Jesus because it's the only name that matters when you pray. God, we pray that as a church, God, you would break us and we would be shaken. God, as a church, Lord, you would shake us up and then put us back together, Lord, so that people all over this planet might look at what you are doing in this place, not what we are doing, what you are doing in this place, and say, that's what I've been looking for my whole life. Holy Spirit, root out fear. Fear is the only thing that's going to hold people back. It's the enemy's number one favorite weapon, and he is not welcome in this place. So God, by faith, would you call us to step out, to walk forward, and to cry out to you because you're an almighty and sovereign God. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna do is we respond. That's what we do. We're gonna have a healing service. If you need prayer, if my prayers would come on down with the oil, just line up the front. There's gonna be people at all the aisles to try to help get you to the right place. I need, if you're not gonna come down, I need you to pray for the people. I need you to sing your face off because that's what the Bible said. Just do, anyone among you cheerful, let them sing praise. The rest of us are gonna sing. Um, this is our time where we respond to God by bringing our first and best, our tithes and offerings. It's a way to, to honor God, to worship him, and then it's time to pray. If you need somebody to pray for you, then come forward right now and we will pray. Ready, go.